Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to another episode of Act Root to Fruit. Uh, my name is Marcel Tassara, and I'm a I'm trying to be a behavior analyst right now. I'm a psychologist, which means that I think Kate, does it kind of when I say that? Do you hear me say like that? My scope of practice is limited to the what happens up here. Yes, and you're pointing to your head. Yes, I'm pointing <laughs> my head. Yes, for, yes. Okay, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that when most people hear psychology, uh, in air quotes, that they hear that you are focused on what people are thinking and saying about their own behavior. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I it, it took me a few years to figure, I, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm accurate in my um, figuring out, but when I heard people like Kelly Wilson say, I'm a behavior analyst or DJ Moran say, I'm a behavior analyst. I, I, I didn't. I just didn't equate. And I think that what I'm learning, the more I learn about this field, the roots of, of ACT and what, what is behind the hexaflex is that behavior analysis is, is, has to do with everything that is the human is doing. And, and maybe saying psychology is too limiting. Uh, you know, I don't know if psychology is too limiting. I think that there are certain branches of psychology that see themselves as only studying one thing. I mean, I consider myself as a student of psychology. I okay. particularly see myself as a, having a particular philosophical stance, and that is one based in behaviorism, radical behaviorism, or inner behaviorism yeah. um, when I examine philosophical phenomena. So, you know, I think if you ask the person on the street, although we don't get to ask people on the street right now much, yeah. um, I think that if you ask the person on the street what psychologists do, they talk to people about talking about stuff. Uh, when you ask them what a behavior analyst do, they either don't know or they think they focus on um, kids with autism. Mm -hmm. And working with kids with autism is an incredibly important job. It's just not the job I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what is the job you do? Actually, before we, I, before I answer that, I'm going to, this is, this is Dr. Kate Kellum. Let me introduce you. Hi. Hi she's, she's waving for those of you who can't see her. I get to, I get to do that to you too. Uh, and uh, Kate is a uh, professor at uh, Ole Miss. Is that, is that? It is. So we, uh, the University of Mississippi yes, has a you. couple of names. The okay. University of Mississippi is what we use when we're talking about the academic functions. And then Ole Miss um, is what we use when we're talking about the athletic functions. I see. There's a whole lot of history about why that might be problematic that we do not <laughs> need to get into on this. Okay. But just, I want people to know, I, I know that it might be problematic. Okay, you're with them. <laughs> and um, I, um, what else I want to say? Kate has uh, awesome pirated motto uh, that uh, sure, sure. world domination through peace, love, and understanding. Yeah, I totally um, stole that. Yeah, Kelly, Kelly Wilson, another old Miss or University of Mississippi comrade. And uh, so she's been consulting with schools, universities, and nonprofits uh, all over the place, United States, UK, for, for over 15 years to help improve their ability to implement contextual changes and measure learning and organizational outcomes. She's a behavior analyst uh, from the University of Nevada, Reno. And, uh, and uh, she has some cool friends behind her too. Too. So yeah. my green screen has uh, rats in the operant chamber having a little party, uh, and I love it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, so um, we were talking about uh, that word behavior. There's a certain pride to to saying I'm a behavior analyst. I feel like within the there's a certain lore to that within ACT, right? Uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think uh, within the ACBS, uh, the Association of Contextual Behavioral Science, I think there is kind of uh, beginning to look back up to these behavioral roots. And there's a whole lot of psychology who see behavior analysts as behind the times and it's not looking into the black box. So I think it sort of depends on what world and psychology you're living in. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I think in ACBS, uh, there is 
there are ways of speaking that have brought attention to behavior analysis as a thing that people might want to know more about. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, you're, you're, um, where do you think we should, we should start out in this, in our journey today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, perhaps with one thought I've been having when I've been listening to these amazing podcasts and I've only listened <laughs> to, a, I've only listened to a few, a few. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, they're, they're great. Thank you. I'm not, I, I, I one thing about me is I don't lie. <laughs> um, so th they're great. And what, one thought I've had kind of consistently throughout is I'm wondering if we're really starting people in the right place. Okay. Is providing, and, and, and I cannot know because I can only tact, I can only talk about there, there is the behavior analysis kind of leaking out tact. Tact just means talking about stuff. <laughs> I can only talk about stuff that is in my own experience. And in mm -hmm. my own experience, you know, learning about behavior analysis did not come from opening the Catania learning book, which is a fantastic learning book. Yeah. Not get me wrong, but that was not my first step yeah. in learning about behavior analysis. And I'm not even sure I can talk about or identify or I'm going to use that word again, tact, the first step I took, right? Um, so one thing I've been thinking while I've been listening to you and the, your amazing guest is, are we talking about the right step? And I'm thinking maybe we go to something that instructional designers talk about a lot, which okay. is backwards design, backwards design. And so backwards design just means Picking an organism, let's let's just limit ourselves to humans instead of rats here because we're right. talking about verbal behavior. So picking a human, deciding what it is you want them to be able to do when you're finished with them, uh -huh. um, measuring what they can do, and figuring how, out what contextual changes to get them to where you want them to be. So okay. pick an organism, pick some behaviors, measure that behavior, and then change the environment to get them to get there. And so one thing, if we're going to pick an organism, let's pick a listener, um, okay. pick what we want them to do. We want them to um, approach the world as if uh, the big controlling behavior, the big controlling variables around behavior is in the environment rather than inside. So if, if and I'm making an assumption here, mm -hmm. if what we want people to do is look to the environment for what's going on with a behavior rather than in. So we're going to pick an organism. We're going to pick the behavior we want them to do. We're going to measure if they can do that thing. And then we're going to change the environment. So I'm going to make some assumptions. The organism is going to be the humans that are listening to this. Yeah. The behavior is going to be looking to the context instead of inside a human as the cause of their behavior. Okay. And I'm using that word cause very loosely. So if the behavior we want our listeners to be able to do is look to the context to see what they can manipulate to change behavior rather than see something as broken or wrong inside of human. Once we do, once we do that, we've picked up organism, we've picked a behavior. Now we got to measure how well they can do that thing, right? And that's hard to do at a grand scale, but let's assume that most people listening are at least intrigued by the idea, but maybe not great at seeing contingencies. Yeah. Then we've got to change the environment to help them do that thing, right? So how can we change that environment? One way we can change that, um, that environment is present reading material and I don't mean to be picking on Charlie. Charlie Catania, brilliant. His book is brilliant, but mm -hmm. it's probably not the best first step. Yeah. Um, so Sli slightly I'm, aversive to someone trying to learn this is what you're saying. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even people who are very well developed, I mean, it, it's written in a way to really dive into each of these concepts rather yeah. than help people develop the kind of general ways of thinking. So based on my own experience, I think practicing this with less complicated organisms, it's pro our less complicated behaviors is probably okay. a good way to do that. Okay. Um, and, and I'm basing this not only on my own experience, but my own experience of 
teaching, so I, I teach lots and lots of undergrads. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, none of them come out as great behavior. Well, some of them come out as great behavior analysts after they do further training, but most of them do not leave my class as like a behavior analyst. Mm -hmm. But they leave my class starting to be able to see how to think this way. And I think an important part of that, one of some of the activities that I see really change how people behave are things like clicker training and tag teach. Okay. Um, so clicker training involves taking a sound or a light or some stimulus mm -hmm. and putting it in temporal spatial proximity with something good and appetitive. So click food, click food. Then using that click and the food, don't forget the food, that's important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> click food, click food. Use that click to shape up the behaviors you want in a, like a nonverbal organism. So to get my cat to give me high five, I might mm -hmm. click treat. The, this is similar to tag teach, T-A-G teach, um, teaching with acoustical guidance because people don't like it when you use the same term to describe teaching animals as you do humans. So they came up with another word. Because we're not Stop. animals, right? Because uh, apparently we're not animals. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, although your other podcast would suggest differently. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. um, so either of these things give people an opportunity to try out very simple manipulations in the environment and watching a behavior of an organism. So okay. there, are two, there are multiple great videos on these things, but mm -hmm. anything of uh, clicker training or mm -hmm. anything on tag teach, yeah. um, there's, there's lots of YouTube videos on these. And I really think that practicing this behavior with a nonverbal response helps organism learn the response learn to look to the environment first. Okay. Because I think as soon as people start talking, mm -hmm. and again, I have no data on this, but it feels like as soon as people start talking, we start looking inside and we start thinking about our own self-talk ah. and start seeing the cause of their behavior inside them, okay. which is fine. I mean, the cause of their behavior could be inside of them, um, but I can't do anything about that. I can't, I can't like go pour them. I can't do a Vulcan mind melt or pour myself in inside your skin and, and make yet. you do what I want to do yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, and Skinner was kind of funny about this. He used this term, the physiologist of the future. Huh. And, and it's really hard to, in our own time, know if he was being sarcastic or if he meant it, you oh. know, <laughs> like, like, um, but the, but we can't right now. I can't pour myself into your own, your skin and make you do, mm -hmm. make you ask me the questions I want you to ask yeah. me. I don't even know what I want. So we're frankly. still talking about our, the listeners though, to this, right? Yeah. And, and so if, if the listeners want to get better at seeing contingencies, I think they need to practice doing that. And I think okay. they, I, I personally think one of the easiest way to practice that is with clicker training or tag teach. Okay. Now, now then they get into, oh, but that's a whole lot simpler than psychotherapy or, oh, but that's a whole lot simpler than teaching. Yes, that's the point <laughs> is to practice this behavior, mm -hmm. um, practice this putting the cause, I'm using that loosely, of behavior in the context rather than inside the organism. And mm. even, when you're, even when you're clicker training, mm. you might find yourself slipping into um, you know, my cat uh, doesn't like these treats or my cat isn't blah, 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 or mm -hmm. it's not food motivated. Okay. That just means you're not using a good enough appetitive. And I think these kind of simpler behaviors will teach you to hone those skills. And I don't know that, but it has taught my students and it's taught me to hone those still skills to be able to apply it to more complicated situations. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, so, um, could you, could you say, kind of break down what is happening in that clicker training from a kind of functional perspective? The ABCs? Sure. And it, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I think there's ABCs and there's one category that gets left out a lot. So antecedents, behaviors, consequences, and future currents. Because the key to whether or not a, a consequence worked is what happens in the future, not what happens mm -hmm. in the moment. 
So let's say I'm teaching um, a new kitten to give me to do high five. Um, at first, I wouldn't even have the antecedent of high five. I'd have an antecedent of a little bit of tasty stuff in my hand, okay. you know, just out of reach of its mouth. And, you know, what are cats going to do? They're going to try to touch it, right? And mm -hmm. they're going to try to get it to their mouth. And as soon as they do that, I'm going to click and give them the treat. Okay. Click treat. So the antecedent there was an approximation of what I wanted. I'm going to like put something tasty in my hand. Yeah. The behavior is their hand, their hand. Cats do not have hands. I know they do not. Their paws <laughs> hits my hand. And then I'm going to click and treat. Now, whether I'm, the only way I know that was reinforcement that like click and treat worked is mm -hmm. if they do it again. Right. Okay. So I'm going to push on that behavior by applying a click and treat. And if they do it again, it was probably reinforcement. If they don't, then that was either a neutral or an aversive. Okay. Okay. And so I'm going to do that until the cat is, you know, I've raised my hand without a, a something tasty on it mm -hmm. and the cat puts their paw on it and then I'm going to click and treat and then eventually I'm going to add, add the antecedent of high five I'm going to say high five raise my hand and the cat will pop it without me doing anything okay um, all of that time I'm clicking and treating when the cat does what I want but also and the cat doesn't do whatever behavior I'm aiming for I'm mm -hmm. not going to yell at it I mean it's a cat it doesn't know what I wanted to do. It's, mm -hmm. it's not at fault if it doesn't do the right thing. I'm going to change the environment. So clicker trainers click what works and they don't click what doesn't work. Okay. Right. So if it doesn't work, you take a break and you come back later. I, I think it's sort of similar and people don't like it when you talk like this. It's sort of similar to complex human behavior. You know, if you're trying to get a new behavior with a, or a develop increase of behavior with a complicated verbal human, you click what works and you don't click what doesn't work. It's so hard for us not to click what doesn't work. Mm. It's, it's easy for us to see that people thrashing around and doing stuff that we don't want. And, it, and when we see it, it's so hard not to comment on it. But like what happens in psychotherapy, even with a mm-hmm, you can differentially reinforce what a human is talking about. Yeah. So it's really important not to click what doesn't work, right? And it's hard, I think it's hard to do that. It, which is why I think it's easier to practice with simpler organisms or simpler behaviors. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that idea. It makes, you know, I mean, makes sense, right? I mean, when, when, when you're learning something new, whether that's, you know, I don't know, diving or swimming, you're, you're gonna start with what's most simple. Right. Basic. I hope so. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I forgot to mention that I, I, I love your website. Uh, I, I see contingencies. I, I take it you're a, a Sixth Sense fan. And, uh, Sixth Sense fan. And um, I, I wonder if we could just backtrack a little bit. And, and I'd like you to answer just some basic questions around contingencies. Like what is a contingency? How, do, how does someone who comes to a behavioral point perspective understand this? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, contingencies have a technical definition, but that's not important here. I think what's important here is a contingency is any change in the environment that impacts behavior. Okay. And, and the change in the environment from, from our perspective here can be outside of the skin and or inside of the skin. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's important. I, I, the skin is arbitrary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The skin is arbitrary. Okay. I, and I'm going to go on a tangent, tangent, and just stop me in a second uh -huh. if you need me to. But is um, that a roller coaster in Mississippi? <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> um, so, I like the stuff we like, and even okay. <laughs> Back up again. So I'm I feeling some excitement. I love it. <laughs> so I don't necessarily take a, a, a radical behavioral perspective on everything. Okay. Um, often I take uh, interbehaviorally informed perspective, and not straight up cancer. He's been dead for a while, mm -hmm. but that, <laughs> and Skinner's been dead for a while too. But often I take that kind of stance. But from a even from how does a that differ? Up, 
Oh uh, yeah, we don't want to get in. No. Well, okay. So, um, what would be like the if 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 you're reading if if you're reading a book on inner behaviorism at Waffle House, yeah. and the 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 server comes and asks you, "What are you reading for?" Yeah. What would be your what would be your two sentence or three sentence? Uh, so you're reading to understand the current interaction of the current behaving organism and the current stimulation of the environment. So you're trying to look at the current interaction of the behaving organism and the stimulation. So I don't think this is going to be useful long-term, but <laughs> from an behavioral perspective, the unit of analysis is that interaction of behavior and context rather okay. than behavior and context. And from a radical perspective, uh, behavioral perspective, the unit of analysis is the behavior. Okay. Well, um, I, I, my head will explode if I ask you to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go back and, and uh, let's go back. Listen to Let's that in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> so where I was going was about, you know, knowing um, even from a radical behavioral perspective, the within the skin and without the skin is kind of arbitrary. Skinner in his 45 paper that lots of contextual behavioral scientists quote a lot, talked about self-knowledge. And the way we learn self-knowledge is through mostly collateral stimulation or context and through collateral behavior. So the way we learn to talk about what's happening within the skin is because we were doing stuff or the environment was doing stuff that people helped us learn to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think one of his examples or one of Linda Hayes's examples was, you know, you got a skin, you got a kid who comes to you, they're crying and they're, they're bleeding from their knee. Okay. There's a collateral behavioral crying and a collateral stimulus bleeding from their knee. From that, we teach them to say, your knee hurts, you fell mm -hmm. down, mm -hmm. right? Those persist, even when we get better at talking about what's going on in our environment or in our, within our skin, those kind of collateral behavior and shared context persist. So I suspect, um, I, I think you have, you have children, right? Yeah, four and two. Yeah, okay. Four and two? Mm -hmm. Yeah, all right. So my guess is you can look at them. You can just look at one of them and see if they're happy, sad, mm. mad, or about to like lose it, right? <laughs> like you just, you just yeah. know. Mm. And how you know, you're not psychic. Well, you might be psychic, but I doubt you're psychic. <laughs> um, you know because they're exhibiting overt behaviors that, mm. that allow you to make a guess about the internal stimulation that they're experiencing. Or something dramatic, like we're all in a shared pandemic right now. It's a pretty good guess that people are not at their best, right? <laughs> you know, you can kind of say, hey, how's it going from across the street? And mm -hmm. they're like, making it, you know, yeah, doing yeah, okay. Yeah. Wait, you can assume some access to the stuff happening within the skin based on their the behaviors that appear, their collateral behaviors, and your shared context. Mm -hmm. um, so the like within the skin, without the skin is not, I don't think it's a hard line. I think that particularly in psychotherapy, once you learn to interact with that human and you learn their collateral behaviors and you share, you've built a context that you share, you have more and more guesses about their, the stuff that's happening within the skin. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so we went off this, we went down this road talking about contingencies. And if you could, again, could you tell me, I really, I really like that. I want to, I want to, I want it to be reinforced here. Uh, what, what, what is a contingency? Contingency is anything that, um, any environmental event that changes behavior, that impacts behavior. Okay. Okay. And that environmental event could be within or without the skin. Okay. So, so what is, so oh, 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 go ahead. No, okay. Um, so, so we want to get good at seeing them, right? Like apparently, per your your domain name, it's important. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's what I try to train my undergraduate students and even the beginning clinical psychology students to yeah. do is try. I try to change them to do that because my own history has. Um, has taught me that for myself, doing so is appetitive. It is effective at changing the world in ways that I want them to. I want to change. Okay. All right. 
and, and I, I guess I gather that um, um, Shamu has something to teach us about this as well. Okay, this is a great book. And there's a brief article, uh, uh -huh. Amy Sutherland. Yeah, I'll put it, I'll article. put links in the, in the Yeah, she wrote an article in the New York Times at the t uh, for a while it was the most leaked uh, cited article that was ever written in the New York Times. I'm sure it's, there are more dramatic things that are happening now. And then there's a book, a very short book length um, approach to this. So okay. Amy Sutherland's, I don't remember what the article is called, but the book is uh, what, uh, what Shamu taught me about life, love, and marriage. Okay. And Amy did something similar to what I'm talking about. She went and studied what animal trainers did, and she uh -huh. went particular with uh, mammal trainers. And then she started to think about the world this way and began to apply it in her own life. And she turned... Um, she, she invented a verb, to shamu. Hmm. To shamu just means differentially reinforce. Okay. So you click what works and you mm -hmm. don't click what doesn't work. Hmm. Right? And so she uses this verb, to shamu, throughout her book. She talks about shamuing um, or to shamu with her spouse. She talks about doing it with her dogs. Hmm. She talks about doing it with people out in the world, like there's an interaction at a bank, which is interesting. <laughs> and one of the reasons I like this book is because it strips away a lot of the uh, behavioral language, which is important in some circumstances. Yeah. But if you're trying to learn to apply this stuff, I'm not sure the actual technical terms are all that important. And I think uh, Sutherland does an amazing job of talking about at least the principle of reinforcement and some other things without using those terms. Okay. Does she know it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. Oh yeah, uh, she well, she's a journalist. Well, I don't know what she knows. I haven't asked her. But <laughs> <laughs> she's she's a journalist and she spent a long time learning about um, reinforcement. Okay. And so from to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, I'm wondering, you know, because we are, you know, language able humans, like why why not uh, make sure someone understands they're messing up. So, Should we tell them, no, that's bad? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 if we're, I mean, I don't know what the, the actual words are that communicates that or how that's communicated. Um, but um, um, I'm hearing you say, I mean, you, you are communicating that in a sense because it's not being, it's not being reinforced. Yes. So one thing that, and this is something students ask a lot, like uh, why wouldn't you punish a behavior? Mm -hmm. and, let me say, with very dangerous behaviors to themselves or others, I do think that punishment has a place. Mm -hmm. However, if you have a long history of using reinforcement or appetitives to, to click to get a behavior to happen more often, the absence of the click is also meaning you're not doing a good job, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so if you're if you have a history of getting clicks and you do something that doesn't get a click, that is functionally similar to getting shocked. Again, I'm not going to shock humans, but you know, if we're taking clicks and shocks, um, you know, we might not need those shocks. Mm -hmm. Okay. If they have a history of clicks without a history of clicks, then I'm, I'm not sure it's easy to teach in the absence of those. I see. But, I, I think it's fairly, and I suspect even in your own life, it's fairly easy to, for you to discern when you're getting a lot of clicks, things are going well, mm -hmm. you know, appetitives are flowing your way, mm -hmm. and then times that, that maybe no aversives are coming at you, nobody's yelling at you or telling you you're bad or whatever, but you're not getting those clicks. I suspect you can discern that. Yeah. Okay. And, and it makes sense that I appreciate that, that that's helpful to, to think of it that way. And I, and I, to follow up on my question, I, I think that uh, there's something natural about, and I don't know if it's natural or if it's just kind of conditioned in us through some social factors, but like that once I figure it out, then I'm, I'm, you know, then I'm really going to be happy, you know, or I'm going to be free kind of, you know, this, this kind of like understanding why I do the things that I do. Is that, is that communicate? Am I communicating my? I think I might need more words. So okay. 
I, let, let me try and then you provide feedback to get us to where we want to go. Okay. So, so what I think you're saying is that um, sometimes a very mild shock or you're, you're doing it wrong might help you identify the correct path and allow you to behave that way. Mm -hmm. So I think you're talking... And I could be, is, is that what you're saying? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I guess I'm thinking more of like, um, you know, our, some of our, our relatives in psychotherapy, like psychoanalysis, which is really heavily focused on why am I the way I am kind of. Okay. And I don't know if, if, I guess I just, and I hear it a lot in, in my, in practice, you know, with clients is, you know, wanting to wind a kind of this pull to, to kind of, I mean, to me, it's like focusing on why you didn't get the click. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. I would like to see information, data, anecdotes about how focusing on that helps you get the click next time. Okay. I, I think it's seductive. I mean, yeah. of course. Yeah. I, I, you know, like, you know, the, like, how did this happen? There's like mental thinking, this, this, internal verbal behavior it's seductive mm -hmm. um and it may even be um appetitive in its own right i mean why else would we do it a lot it's got to be somehow appetitive it's unclear to me that that seductiveness um, leads to better behavior like yeah. it's it's unclear to and again, I don't know. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I mean, you know, y'all can tell me I'm crazy. That's <laughs> um, fine. Uh, but it's, it's, I don't see that being able to talk about what went wrong in the past because that, that's gone. All mm -hmm. we got is right now. Mm -hmm. I, if talking about what went wrong in the past helps you right now, cool. But I'm not sure it does a lot. And I okay. think... Particularly from clinical, uh, from a clinical perspective, what you have access to is what's happening right now. Now, people may be talking about what happened in the past or what they're worried about in the future, uh, but there is a nothing you can do about that. Yeah. There are no contextual changes you can make about that. The yeah. only contextual changes you can make from this perspective is right now. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that, that reason in particular is why I'm. I find group psychotherapy to be so powerful, especially process groups, because you get to see in in the moment what's happening in you know how we function in 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 a in a, in a group setting, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, hopefully that uh, that that comes back to, to a powerful place like it was before uh, the insurance companies axed it, you know, whatever they did. Well, that's a pretty powerful contextual change, right? So insurance companies said, no, this isn't going to work anymore. We're not going to pay you for this. So lots of people stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. not, not for any other reason except for the immediate contingencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And on that note, I think we had talked about uh, doing a little bit of a, a functional uh, analysis of, of some, uh, some of my behavior. Um, let's do it. Be good, let's be a good time to to mess around with that, uh, and uh, and the idea is you you know I'm gonna I'm just gonna talk like I, I mentioned the topic earlier. Just talk about that, and um, you can ask me questions, and then we'll stop and maybe unpack it. Sound good? Okay. So um, one of my one of my values is that I want to be um, kind of alive, and I want to be I want to be fully present as much as possible in my life. Um, and uh, um, that means being authentic. That's a, that's a value of mine. And uh, and I find myself sometimes in conversations I don't want to be in. And um, you mean <clears throat> other people are boring sometimes? <laughs> no, everyone I talk to always <laughs> highly entertaining. <laughs> no, but really, it's it's my impatience. I recognize that. Like I just I like hit a wall, and I'm like, oh my god. Especially right now in my life, I've got a lot of things going on, and and a lot of um, a lot going on, and and so uh, uh, and I don't I, I don't think it's like I'm more important than somebody, but I just I don't know I you know so so I'm <clears throat> I think it's more about impatience, but it's just like oh this conversation is is uh, fruitless. And uh, this person is on like a talk track. They're being very inauthentic and that bothers me. And I want to, uh, I, I want to, you know, I don't want to spend the energy to, 
I don't whatever make to change this. And I just, I got to go, I got stuff to do. I got to go. And there's this like churning inside of me uh, that uh, happens. And uh, um, mm -mm. I, I guess I try to like kind of communicate that, you know, through my body language that, you know, I'd like to terminate the conversation, uh, di discharge the conversation. And uh, uh, this is, and so uh and, but it, it's, it's a battle between like how I want to be as a, as a, as my, some of my values in terms of interpersonal values and how I carry myself and just am kind to people. And, uh, um, and so it's, yeah, that's, that's my behavior. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say in the mm -hmm. present moment yeah. uh, is talking about other moments in the past. And you're, you're not even talking about a specific moment. You're talking about lots of Mm -hmm. I assume it's not just one person that drives you to boredom. No. But, you know, of course, no one drives you to boredom. No one. But, you know, I you're, you're kind of taking a whole stream of behavior that has happened, this interaction of environment and behavior over time, and you're, you're presenting it in some words in front of me right now. Okay. So I have some choices. I can take that stream of behavior and talk about that stream of behavior, and I'm perfectly happy to do that. Yeah. Or I can talk about the stream of behavior that's happening in front of me right now. Now, so that stream of behavior that's been coming at me through your little bit of verbal behavior that you sometimes feel disconnected. I mean, you were more elegant than this, but you sometimes feel disconnected, but you want to be kind to humans, even though sometimes humans are boring, because yeah. sometimes humans are boring. They, yeah. This is true. This is true. And, and sometimes we assign the problem with that other human is inside of them. They're a boring person, uh -huh. right? But often they also probably, there's something in the context that is influencing their own behavior. Yes. They yeah, oh, yeah. There's something that's preventing them from being, as you said, authentic in the moment, right? But, but it's easier to say you're boring. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> I can analyze that. So if I'm analyzing that, what I'm hearing you say is that those conversations are not appetitive to you. However, you wish within your skin makes it that you should think that this is an appetitive, right? So talking with another human should be appetitive, mm -hmm. right? So you've got something that's aversive. This talking with this boring person. Again, it's not inside of them. It's, you know, out in the world. You're talking to a boring mm -hmm. person. And it should be appetitive, but it's not. And you feel your behavior is both, I want to do this thing, but it's, it's not reinforcing. So your behavior of being authentic in that moment is not being reinforced. Okay. Mm, I can, okay. We can make up stories all day long about yeah. the antecedent. You had a boring, you're talking to a boring person. The consequence, uh, the behavior was you like moved away or you signaled go away. And the mm -hmm. consequence is you got out of that boring conversation. Or maybe even better, they switch to something more interesting, right? <laughs> and then in the future, when you're talking to a boring person, you're more likely to move away, which gets away from the boring person, which it makes you do that yeah. again in the future. Yeah, I mean, we can make up those stories. Okay. But what, I've a what I have access to right now is what we're doing. And, yeah. and me pushing a little bit on how you're behaving. So... I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to talk about an earlier moment. So earlier you asked me a question that I didn't quite understand and I tried to rephrase it. Yeah. And then, and that was pushing on you a little bit. Okay. Like, Oh, I'm not going to, I'm not behaving in the way I know you want me to behave. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. serve up something for you to behave in a way that'll help me behave. And so I think we're doing that now. I mean, and, and for the listeners, we're actually looking at each other on Zoom, so that helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, um, so I think we're influencing each other's behavior right now. You, um, you served up an antecedent that in the past has been followed by the person who you were listening to providing a functional analysis, which helped you make sense of the world consequence, which uh -huh. increased the probability that you'd, you'd serve up that antecedent again to to make sense of the world. And then I say, yeah, we can do that. Um, but what's more interesting is us pushing on each other, each other's behavior in the moment. So yeah. I'm, I behave, which becomes your context, and then you behave, which becomes my context. And each of those contexts can be appetitive, aversive, or neutral. And that's, each of those is going to change how we behave with each other. So 
I'll get back to your question. <laughs> oh, people are boring sometimes. <laughs> and I'm fault. one of those people. Some of the You know, it's the context's fault. You know. Um, Damn and, and why don't we bl- why don't we blame the context more? <sighs> we should. It's you know? probably the context's fault. Like we, well, you know, our our learning history. Like it's it's harder to think like this. This is. Actually, yes, it is harder to think like this because the culture does not teach us this. Uh-huh. The culture generally teaches us that when someone does something or a critter does something, it's something inside of them that influences their behavior. And to switch it to start thinking or start seeing contingencies or start seeing the world as it's in the context, that's a hard switch. Yeah. And I fail at it all the time. Um, but I succeeded at a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. On that on that note, uh, something that came up for me, and I, I I think this is related. It might not be, but so I noticed that I tend to like when I have some event happen inside, like a judgment or something like that about myself or someone else. I tend to kind of as- just ascribe it to my mind, like you know, I just blame it on my mind. Which there's something about like because I, I do feel like if if you um um. You know, that's something I, I think that I've been conditioned to do within ACT is just to do that. You know, I have something that I don't like. So I'm just, oh, that's the, the stupid mind that's telling me that. Yeah. And your mind did not, it's just not a thing in and of itself. This like thinking behavior evolved because of the context, right? I mean, and this blaming your mind evolved because you're, you're, the contextual cues around acty stuff, and, and, and there are other traditions that do this, but with act, it is one way to attribute cause <laughs> to something, but even in, even within the act traditions, no one thinks that mind just appeared suddenly. It's not it is a behavior. I mean, this thinking is a behavior. Uh-huh. It has evolved. This way of thinking has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that behavior, we're really good at it. Evolutionarily, we have been, we're set up to be able to hide, fight, seek appetitives. And then our entire learning history has taught us to do that too. And sometimes those behaviors occur just within the skin, just within our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes uh, they occur outside. Sometimes we actually run, fight, or hide. Um, and just be- when we assign the, the, oh, that's just my mind talking, it's a shorthand way of saying that's my history. That's my learning history doing that. Okay. At least in my opinion. Yeah. Well, okay. So, but if I, if I all have the thought now, Kate is so eloquent and I'm I'm so grateful to her for, for coming here to, <laughs> to be here and share her wisdom with us. I would say, Oh, that's my true self. You know, like that's, that's the other side of that. And I want to ascribe that to the real me. You get you know what I'm saying? Okay. Is that okay? I don't, I don't think that's harmful. I don't think any of this is harmful. I think okay. where it's harmful is where we st- when it is our, we're getting paid or as our job or as, as a parent or a spouse or, you know, somehow somebody has assigned us a behaving organism whose behavior we are supposed to influence um, either because we're getting paid to do it or because we're parents or whatever, you know, somehow we have a behaving organism in front of us. I think the problem is when we assign the problem of that organism inside the skin. I think, I mean, without our own skin, we can say we're our true selves or that's my mind talking. I think that's fine for our own behavior. But when we're trying to influence another human's behavior or another another critter's behavior, if we see the problem is inside of them, it gives us nothing to do. The only way that we have any power to influence another organism's behavior is by assigning the influence on the the context because that's the only thing we can change we can change the context to help them think differently or behave differently or so i I feel like that what you those last couple sentences there could be unpacked for a really long time and and i and and i'm not i'm not suggesting we spend you know the next uh, couple hours together but but i am i'm wanting you to help on that specific point about seeing the problem as outside of the person 
in this case, we're talking clinically. Or the what, solution or the goodness or whatever. Yeah. I, I use the word problem, but you know, okay. being the influence on behavior as outside the person. Go okay. ahead. What, are there any articles or books that you would suggest to listeners or my, and myself to, to really help me sit with this? Because I, I feel like this is something I need to sit with and to really wrap my everything around. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to what I was saying at the beginning. I don't know this through data. I know this through my own teaching of undergraduate students, and I know this through my working with clients, uh, not psychological clients, but people who have to do things in the world. Um, practicing this, seeing your behavior as influencing the context for another human or another organism's behavior. So behaving in a way that changes the environment, that changes somebody else's behavior okay. is important. Um, and I think you have to practice it. Now, of course, I've got, I've got articles that I really love. I mean, I love uh, Linda Parrott-Hayes' Listening and Understanding article. Mm -hmm. I love her Equivalences Process article. I, there's lots and lots of articles that I think are important. And I, I really think practicing this yeah. is the way to do it. And, you know, a cat or a rat or a dog. What about some <laughs> like nonverbal interactions with other humans? Is there any? Yeah, I think that's, okay. that's good. So one of my favorite things to get students to do is to, instead of clicker training a cat or a dog or a rat or one of the most fun I had a student clicker train a lizard, a pet lizard. It was fantastic. But besides that, I, I think one of the things to get them to do is something similar. The tag teach that I talked about earlier, the teaching with acoustical guidance, getting somebody who's good at something. So for example, um, basketball or a mm -hmm. dance move to teach somebody else to do that without words and just using clicks really starts to get them to understand how how my behavior changes the environment for you that changes your behavior. And then your behavior changes the interactions, behavior context, simpler format. I think it's important. Okay. And you know, if you don't have some if you don't have somebody who can teach a dance move to, like my nephew is trying to teach me to do the flossy dance. I'm very bad at it. <laughs> um, if you don't have a human that you can do that with, watch a bunch of videos on YouTube. There's hundreds of them. All right. Okay. And did I take you away from where you wanted to go when, when we were talking about the functional analysis? Um, in terms I have of, no idea. Okay. All right, That's so been minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we, won't, we won't do a functional analysis of that, that comment. <laughs> um, so, okay. What else? What, el what else do we need to, to what, I, I, you're, you're, the, you're the real professor here, so. Oh, no, I'm not sure that's true here. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to say the same thing. I think with any interaction, if you are in charge of making, um, influencing the environment to make that other human or critter's behavior different, mm -hmm. then you need to start with backwards design. Pick the organism, pick the behavior, measure the behavior, and see how you can change the environment to get them to do it. So pick the organism, pick the behavior, yeah. measure to see what they can do already, and then change the environment, and then measure again. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a, you are a measurement person. I just want to mention that as we as if we. If you're not measuring, you're just practicing. I mean, yeah. you might as well measure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, I I I really appreciate your perspective on this, and uh, it's it's. I feel like it's another can of worms I'm I'm opening up and I'm excited about uh, diving actually, into. Actually, uh, so I was um, approaching this with some trepidations, uh, trepidation because I was thinking it, what my thoughts on this and saying them out loud might be somewhat aversive uh, mm. to you rather than appetitive. Okay. Um, and I can I can like put words around like why I thought that. Um, and it felt, I felt like 
you're doing a deep dive and I'm saying, yeah, you do that. But how about you take a step back and go off the little, the little diving board yeah. first. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go with a big one first. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, take, that's, yeah. Take that little one. And there's probably lots of listeners who have already taken and practiced those little dives and mm-hmm. that, they'll be fine to go yeah. straight for Catania or uh, any of those kind of writings. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of us who aren't. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm. Uh, I I have started this journey, uh, wanting to wanting to be led, and uh, and I'm really grateful for you um, being willing to to take me down uh, what you were concerned would be a, a um, um, holy sundowning. Um, <laughs> Oh, I can't think of my behavioral language. I wouldn't like it. That's what I'm trying to say. Immersive. Immersive. That was a long sentence. I really struggled there. I bet you're laughing, so maybe it's not so immersive. Maybe yeah. it's not about it. No, no, it's it's really I I I love it. Yeah. I think it may maybe this way of thinking. Um that is that the biggest influence of behavior is in the environment and not in not stuff you can't access. Um, I think this way of thinking brings with it some clarity. It clarifies your job. I think it also can be aversive because when things aren't going your way, the only way to look is your own behavior. If, if you assume that you can impact the environment to impact another organism's behavior, if that environment isn't impacting the organism in the way that you hoped, um, then the only place to look is at your own behavior. So I think it is, is freeing in some ways. It gives you something to do, change the environment. But I also think in some circumstances, it's, it's a little confining. Like, you know, when things aren't going my way in a class, for example, I'm teaching online this semester, mm-hmm. it's not the best class I've ever taught. And, you know, where can I look? I can look, you know, like a pandemic is causing this, but also my behavior is the only thing that can impact that class. That's the only thing I control is my own behavior. And so, you know, in some ways, this way of thinking is both freeing and it's confining. Okay. And, uh, and are those, those, speaking of confining, those rats, they look pretty happy. I would, yeah. (laughs) It looks, looks more like uh, there might be cocaine than electricity in that. In that it's box. probably, there are probably some appendages in the separate <laughs> chamber. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let me, uh, what did I do here? Um, okay. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a good place for us to kind of, to step away. What do you think, Kate? Sure. It's your podcast. You get to the <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I really love your, your approach and, uh, and your, uh, your kindness to, uh, to us beginners here. Um, I want to mention that, uh, um, your, your website, which I'll, I'll put a link to, I see contingencies, um, is, a, is an awesome website with a lot of, a lot of good information there on, on, on these topics and, and fun stuff. I'm sure we could, we could talk about, uh, uh, maybe some some common science fiction we both like. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, you're available for consultation. You do consultation on student learning and anything having to do with measurement. Thanks so much, Kate. Of course. But I'm getting stronger. They take a piece of me. I'm getting stronger They take a piece of me But I'm getting stronger They take a piece of me